You're listening to the Monica Cade Podcast, a conscious approach to all things health and lifestyle, empowering you to be your best self in each moment. Because the truth is, that's all we ever have. From conscious lifestyle tips that'll help you make better choices in all areas of your life, through to interviews with game-changing entrepreneurs, creative minds, and thought leaders. These conversations move me. They're changing the world, and I hope they impact yours. So, without further ado, let's dive into this week's conversation. Hello, and welcome to episode 101 of the Monica Cade podcast. Now, I'm super excited to introduce our guest today. I think you're going to love her. Her name is Sherry Salada. She's a writer, producer, co-host of the podcast, The Sherry and Nancy Show, and the co-founder of The Pillar Life. She's had a pretty impressive career working as the executive producer on The Oprah Winfrey Show and also served as the co-president of Harpo Studios and OWN. Now, today we're going to chat about her book, The Beautiful No, and what happens when you realize you have the career of your dreams, but not the life of your dreams. So without further ado, let's welcome her. Hello, Sherry. Thanks for joining me. Well, hi, Monica. Hi, everyone. You are literally in my favorite part of the world. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, we brought the Oprah show to Australia for a big hoop-de-doo that last, that last final season 25. And I had been 10 years before I had been, or maybe even longer than that, maybe 20. I had, as a young uh, commercial producer, I'd come and spent three months in Australia in Sydney. And just listen, if you were if you were just a little bit closer, I would be an Australian by now. Oh, well, I know sometimes it'd be great to like pull the countries closer together. I used to live in yeah. New York for about a year and a half and I loved it. It was such a fabulous yeah. city. Uh, but it is. It's they're so far away from each other. Yeah. Anyway, I thought let's give our listeners a bit of background around yourself. And I thought we could start with, you know, Growing up as a kid, what was your perspective on life and who did you see yourself as in the world? Oh, wow. That is a brilliant question. And uh, let me think what what I think about that. I I was very middle class. Um, I grew up in Waukegan, Illinois, right in the heartland of America. And my parents and grandparents had all been born in the same town. And um, I'm from a very close-knit family. Uh, All the first cousins are best friends. And uh, my parents and aunts and uncles, we grew up, they were best friends. So we spent a lot of time together. And um, I I would say even early on, I was a producer. I I was always bossing everybody around, coming up with the shows and the skits. And I, I, I didn't like to babysit. So when I was in charge of everybody, I would make them put performances together. <laughs> and I, I'd usually get in trouble because I, w- I, was, a bit of a, I was a bit of a stickler. And uh, I like things perfect in that sometimes it would be like, Mom, Sherry's making us practice again. <laughs> so, uh, but it was, um, it was a, a very nice growing up. Um, and, and, and I definitely, I dreamed of having, of doing something in the world that would be maybe glamorous, maybe significant, maybe meaningful, but the meaningful I didn't get to. Uh, I didn't totally understand that till later in life. Mm. What was your uh, like family like in terms of the support your parents gave you growing up? You know, were they the type of parents that said, "Hey, go after whatever you want," or did they kind of have an idea of 
where they wanted you to go. Yeah, I was really lucky that way. Um, my father is a master at unconditional love. And um, he he was very much like, you can be anything you want to be in the world. Um, and and so the, it, it definitely felt like the world was my oyster. You know, my mom was a little bit more timid about things like, oh, you know, it's, you know, like the, 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 the world out there and, and what you could do. She probably had a lot of limitations on herself. Um, but yeah, I, I listen, I looked around at my life growing up. My dad went off to work every day with a briefcase and a, wearing a hat. Mm-hmm. And he came home and got to sit down, have a cocktail and watch TV. And my mom looked like she never sat down for 24 hours a day. And I decided early on that it looked like he had the, the more interesting life. Yeah. He had the better deal. Yeah. So I guess he played an inspirational role for you in terms of career path. Oh, and yes, totally he did. Totally he did. And I, I always had the, the sense that I really wanted to make my parents proud. Yeah. And, and it, was a, it was a long time coming before, um, you know, career-wise anyways, I, f- I felt like I did that. But, you know, I was a good student. I got A's. I had a lot of freedom. Um, I was the oldest and the first. Um, and, uh, you know, by the time I was eight years old, we adopted my little brother and then they were busy with his, you know, little toddlerness. So, um, I was kind of, you know, going through that awkward junior high, high school time, um, that, you know, which, which I, just like anybody, like I, I felt like I walked into that as a confident little girl that, you know, could take on the world. And I think I walked out of that kind of lacking confidence and shaky about everything and kind of wondering. So that's an, it's an interesting time that we go through and some of us sail through it and some of us find it really difficult. Yeah, I imagine. I think family and dynamics and it has such a huge impact on, you know, the family unit. And I think even later in life, like I know my family just in the recent few years, you know, it's changed and people have, you know, split up and different things like that. And and as an adult, it's funny how I didn't realize it would affect me in the way that it has, yeah. you know, because you think I'm an adult, I should be able to handle this. And it's like, I'm not a little kid, but I suppose the family unit, especially I guess if you have a cohesive and close family, then it does make an impact when things change. Well, and also too, I think Monica. I mean, the 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 uh, the other the other energy going on with that is it's. I think there are some people who love change and welcome it and just are willing to roll with the punches and, and, and many more of us who like are uncomfortable with it. Mm. Like, you know, it's like, you know, change is like, yeah, it's good. And we know that. And we've all been through lots of really great changes. But on the other hand, when things change, it's unsettling. We don't have our feet underneath us. I recently did a big move. I moved from Los Angeles to uh, the Napa Valley. Mm. And you would have thought, I mean, I found myself and I was excited and I wanted to do the move and it was my dream and yay, yay, yay. And I found my house, I bought my house, moved in. Uh, and there were a f- couple weeks there where I felt I, I was a little teary. Mm. Like I was shaky and I'm like, what's going on? And it's like, because you're, you're, you're this grown woman, your stuff is in boxes. you you don't know where anything is. You're now, you're like, what, how am I, how does my energy fit in this space? You know, change can be very initially uncomfortable. Mm, I absolutely agree with you. 
And I feel like just depending on what the changes are, you know, and how big they kind of are, there's often that grieving process too that comes along with them. You know, even yeah. imagine for you, like with your move, you know, you've been living elsewhere for a certain amount of time. You've created memories. You have a certain uh, sense of being comfortable there. And now you, yeah. you've exited that comfort zone and started something new. So that's right. That's right. And, you know, listen, nobody's gone. I mean, well, that's not true. I'm not going to say that nobody's <laughs> gone through, but, but I have gone through a lot of change in, in the, in the last three or four years. And, um, I went from being a staff person, almost 21 years, um, with, um, Oprah's companies and starting with the show and an entry level position at 35 years old. And then, um, and then exiting and becoming an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Um, like, you know, okay, so I have my own media platform, I have my own company, I have my own podcast. And and then I, I was very lucky to get the opportunity to write a book and which is, you know, a dream. That's really good. But all of those things, you know, with the 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 joy of it, the freedom of that, all the newness, there's still like some change you've got to get used to. Mm-hmm. There's still like you know, a sense of discomfort that, um, you know, it's just old patterns and old habits and, and maybe old fears, Mm. you know, double, you know, always questioning yourself, is this right? Is that right? And, you know, there is a little piece of this life puzzle that needs to be approached with abandon. Mm. Like you, you, you put yourself off the edge of the cliff and you can like, kind of inch your way down the side or you can swan dive and go for it Mm. and and just tell yourself a new story that this is great and this you know like really like kind of kind of soothe yourself through the change yeah I agree with you the the stories that we are telling ourselves in our mind have such a profound impact on just everything like the most subtle things like I've been catching myself in different moments you know where the thought might just be like oh I feel tired and it's like hang on a second you know like I don't need to run off with that guy (laughs) you know yes (laughs) oh my god that's so brilliant and and that's the truth that's how little and insidious it is Mm. it's kind of like somebody like I, I caught myself I've been doing a lot of traveling with this book tour right so now all of a sudden I'm in I'm in um airports all the time. And, you know, not everything goes well mm. when you're traveling a lot, Yeah, you know, and it's a little bit more like a bus station than the glamorous air <laughs> travel of old where nothing's on time and things don't work and the windshield wipers fell off. So now we're going to be four hours late. And I, I, I it's like, I tell myself, stop complaining because you're going to make it worse. Yeah. Stop it. It's like, it's like I'm literally in, I was in the United Lounge and I had a big plate of like 20 cheese cubes. You know, I really didn't need to eat, but I was like just pounding back the cheese cubes and probably having like a nine in the morning um, Cabernet and because it's free. And I was just like, the way you talk to yourself about this is going to mean the difference to whether it happens again and again to you or what your experience is. You might as well relax and say, wow, I've got free cheese and some free wine. My laptop's here. I can get some work done. All right. I'm excited. This is good. And you know what? I don't want to get on a plane that doesn't have all its working parts. How about that? 
<laughs> so powerful what you've just said and definitely about the, the plane part, yeah. It, it, it's amazing, like just that tiny shift, it changes the whole perspective of the current situation. And, and yes. as well, the energy that then you're putting out into the world as well, you know? Yeah. And so those are, that's a, that seems like a silly example, although it really isn't because I did complain one day and then I, I couldn't get a non-time flight for weeks. But think about the little ways we do it in our lives. It's like our, our alarm goes off, our eyes open. Are we like, oh my God, oh. I get another day. Here it is. Yay. Or are we like, you know, what, what, what drama am I going to have to face? What to do's am I going to have to check off? And I'm as guilty as anybody else of letting that get away from me the minute I open my eyes. Mm. But I'm here to tell you, when you grab hold of, of the focus on that and you, and you change that up right away and you stay on yourself, like, nope, I'm not going to complain. I'm going to close my lips. No complaining from me. How are you? I am fabulous. And there's nothing more to say after that. Exactly. It's like, you know, how's life treating you? Nothing but good. Yeah. Nothing more to say after that. And that commiserating and complaining, those are creative tools. Yeah. And you can, you can just drag the most horrible things right to your doorstep that way. Yeah. And it becomes such a infectious type thing when you're with someone and you just start that and it snowballs and you've got this little thing that you've complained about and it's turned into this whole life saga and it, you've just missed the moment. I know. Sometimes we all get together and we play the whose life is worse game. And, <laughs> and you think that's bad. Well, listen to this. And you think that's bad and listen to this. And you know, you know, here's the deal. That kind of thing has real metaphysical consequences. Mm. We, we are living in the quantum field mm. where, where there's unseen forces and energy fields and, and, and fibrous threads, you know, running through about five, six, seven dimensions. I can't totally explain it, but I can tell it's happening, mm. that there is something way, way more complex beyond what we can see, taste, touch, feel. So why not, why not play with the magic mm. instead of continually, you know, dumping, you know, a, a big bucket of water over your head by, um, by describing the exact life you don't want to live? Exactly. Powerful. And I feel that's a really profound message that you have in your book. And I do want to come back to that. But I want to ask you, do you feel that you've had this, that, that awareness that you've just shared now? Do you feel like you've had that for most of your life? Or do you feel like that's something you've come to, you know, as you've gotten older? Yeah, I did not have that awareness. No, I did not. I was um, I was raised Catholic, and probably in college, I decided that's enough of that for me. Um, you know, I appreciate it. It feels like a nationality. Like I'm also Polish and Irish and Swedish and Scots and little Canadian, and um, but it, it doesn't feel like it, it did not feel like a spiritual path to me. So I, I literally barnstormed the self help aisles throughout my 20s. And it probably was the first time I, I read and heard about, it was massive on the Oprah show. I wasn't working there yet. Marianne Williamson's A Return to Love. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that at least, at least I saw some interesting language and concepts mm -hmm. that, that, that sparked something in me that made my heart leap, that made me feel like, okay, okay, I'm onto something. And then of course, you know, through the Oprah show, I often say that, that, that it, there were great company benefits, but none 
better than being paid to build a spiritual life. Mm. You know, just all these kind of like being exposed to ideas and um, ideas about energy and ideas about what's going on, you know, human to human and, 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 and about meaning and about purpose and about all those kinds of things really opened me up to, you know, just up-leveling and up-leveling, up-leveling and up-leveling my spiritual understanding. Oh. So I, I say here to you now that I'm still, I'm still unraveling. I'm still, I'm, you know, I decided actually that I didn't want to keep being a seeker. I wanted to become a finder. So I'm constantly finding now. I'm finding and I'm finding and I'm finding and I'm finding. And it all comes back to this. The knowing is inside us. Mm. There's, there's nothing anybody can really tell me anymore that I don't already know. Sure. Because that knowing's been activated in me. And so it's as simple as this. Drink a glass of filtered water. Sit and, and, and close your eyes and listen to your breath for 10 minutes. Um, have a salad and um, be very, 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 very kind to yourself. That is advanced spiritual practice. Mm. And it's so simple and it, people just overlook it as, you know, there has to be something more. It can't just be that simple. I but know. when it comes down to it, it really is. It, it totally is. And listen, I, I could overlook it next Thursday and I'm telling it to you right now. I mean, we often have these, these patterns and these neural pathways where unless we are evident, unless sweat is literally coming down our brow, we haven't earned something or it isn't valuable or, you know, um, you know, a walk, a walk around the block after dinner with a little bit of briskness to our pace, you know, forget about that. What's that going to do? I need to, you know, run, you know, five marathons. And of course I fail and I quit and, and, and whatever somebody's story is that it's the little things. It's all somebody, that's a really great quote. Somebody says, as we spend, as we spend our days is how we spend our lives. Mm. It's the little things. It's the little decisions. How do you want to wake up? You know, what is your morning routine? How are you going to nourish yourself? How are you going to put yourself to bed? It's all those little things that end up comprising our lives. Mm. And we're either creating the lives of our dreams or we're not. Yeah. Actually, I wrote down a little part in your book where you said, um, where do you want to go? And it's such a simple little sentence. And it's like how often we overlook that question. Like you could ask someone like, well, if you are unhappy with where your life is right now or your career, where would you like to go? And so often it stumps people, you know, <laughs> they don't know. And yeah. But even just like asking yourself that question, it requires that you to go inward. You know, you have to become still yeah. to really feel that because obviously the external world is no longer working and it's almost forcing you to ask yourself that question too. Yeah. And I think, I, I, well, that's an excellent point and I know exactly what you mean. You know, I think we, we marginalize the practice and the concept of dreaming we leave that to the children who, I want to be this when I grow up. I want to be that when I grow up. But, you know, really what happens to us is, is that dreaming muscle gets very flabby. You know, our, you know the, the, the idea of being a dreamer isn't necessarily, 
necessarily a compliment mm-hmm. in the in the big you know capitalistic world of success and and yet i would say that that is that is such a false notion that dreaming is how you make mega millions Mm. Dreaming is how you create the family that you've always wanted. Dreaming is how you manifest the love of your life. That that dreaming piece is a very powerful practice of doing exactly what you were just saying. When you say like, okay, what is what is the home of my dreams? Mm. All of a sudden, your imagination is activated. You start to visualize, you start to like, what does it smell like? What is it? What does it look like? What, what colors is, you know, does it have a backyard? What's happening with this and that, you know? um, And you start to put that together in your mind. The thing that's happened to you is now you've activated some sort of creative force Mm. because next thing you know, you'll be thinking about it. You feel a little hopeful. You feel kind of optimistic, like, wow, I can make this better. That could be really good. And that's one little area. When we apply that, where do you want to go? What is the life of your dreams in this area now? All of a sudden, we are putting the lives of our dreams at the highest priority. Mm. So you mentioned that you've had the you know, looking back, you had the career of your dreams, but not the life of your dreams. When you started at OWN, did you feel at that point then that you were living the life of your dreams? Oh, I'm not sure I would have been that specific because, you know, at another level of consciousness, I was well aware that I had completely neglected myself Mm -hmm. and given myself away in every shape or, or form in, in a million ways that I'd betrayed myself, that I hadn't had my own back, that I hadn't taken care of myself. Um, you know, one, one, um, I, I, I was doing a book reading recently and, and I, and I read this sentence and it caught me off guard because I hadn't seen it in a while, but this was such a profound truth that what I discovered was I had been an untrustworthy steward of my own well-being. Mm. And and when I realized it, it was powerful, when I wrote it, it was powerful. When I went and read it, you know, uh, a year later at a book reading, it was it was really powerful because that really is who else is going to be the steward of your own well being mm. if not for you? Mm. And um, so yeah, I mean, uh, there there was a level that I knew that I was not living the life of my dreams. And, you know, but this is pretty good. Mm. This is pretty good, you know. So so part of the thing is when, you know, you know, you could say that I was very busy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But I wasn't too busy to, mm. to, to, to be a trustworthy steward of my own well-being. Because the times when I wasn't working, you know, or I was like my stress, my ways of dealing with stress generally were, kind of the stereotypical EP executive producer things. I was a smoker back then. I was um, drowning myself in pizza, lattes, um, you know, vats of diet soda, um, stressed out, stressed out, stressed out. So when I'd come home, was I meditating and, and, and doing some sun salutations? I was not. 
I was numbing out in front of some mindless TV, not even curating my own content, just like whatever was on and just kind of zoning out until I could collect and gather myself and go back in and, and do battle. So, um, that is, so, so yeah. So on some level, we all know, yeah. we all know on some level if we're living the lives of our dreams or not, mm. that the, the thing I'm trying to unlock with this conversation is for those of us who aren't living the lives of our dreams because we don't believe it's possible, mm. that's the person I'm talking to. Yeah. You know? How do you feel, or what, what do you say to someone that's listening and they're like, okay, Sherry, I, I, I hear what you're saying and that's me and I do have this dream or maybe someone, they just, they're in that position where they're like, I don't know, because my life is too stressful and too much, right? Right. Where, right. where do they start? Well, listen, I mean, I think it depends on where you are and what stage of life you're in. So, you know, uh, you know, if you're in the middle of life, 40s, 50s, 60s and older, then I say, you know, my book is a rallying cry. Mm. It's a rallying cry. You know, it's, it's like, I'm saying, here's what I'm going to do for myself. I am going to, it's never too late to the, live the life of your dreams. And if not now, when, and I'm going to get to it. Step by step by step by step. And I'm going to become the expert of my own life. And I'm going to figure this out. And I'm going to do it with um, with joy and with wonder and with love. I'm not going to create a whole nother set of to-do lists for myself. And if you are a younger person, if you're in your 20s and, and early 30s, I say this to you. Look look at my story as a, as a cautionary tale. Mm-hmm. Because if you were to say, Sherry, do you have any regrets? I would say millions of them. Mm-hmm. And most of them have to do with not being a trustworthy steward of my own well-being. Mm. Most of them have to do with not having my own back, not, not, not being trustworthy with mm-hmm. myself, not making loving myself top priority, taking care of myself top priority. Um, you know, you have, it's very, very different. You live a very, very different life. I think when early on you begin to see that self-care is not extra credit, Mm. that it's not like, um, oh, you know, like that, that, that spa treatment you treat yourself to once a year, that self-care is literally, you are constantly evaluating if something's good for you or not, Mm. if something feels good good to you or not. You do not languish in relationships where you are being um, ignored or belittled or anything like that. You would never, never allow yourself to stay in something like that or pursuing a partner who's not really interested in you, uh, 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 you know, you know, chasing after men who don't love you back, um, that you, you are on it for yourself and that there's nobody on the planet you can trust more than yourself. And that is a really hard thing to do, I think, for a lot of people because I think there, you know, there are different types of people, the ones who are people pleasers, you know, who want to do right by everyone and they don't put themselves first. And I think learning that skill, um, I know for myself, I, I like to be the, there and be dependable when someone needs me. I also value myself and know that, I can to be I have to be my best and then I can be my best for everyone else too. So I can see how, you know, taking care of myself first really 
is supportive to those around me and the relationships and the opportunities that come my way. For someone that maybe isn't at that point, like how do you build that muscle, for example, to kind of, yeah. Well, I'm going to go back to where we, we began, kind of, a, it, it's the little things. Yeah. It's, you know, I, 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 I finally realized that my all or nothing thinking usually left me with nothing. Mm. And so I decided to be like, okay, let me challenge that absolute, that everything has to be the big dramatic grand gesture. Mm. So, you know, you, you don't eat food for 30 days. You know, that's your new plan or, or something like that. Instead, you start with the little things. You got to figure out, let, let's put it this way. You have to figure out what your own recipe is. Mm. And you start with little practices and you see what feels good. Mm. Like simple stuff. Do you feel better when you drink um, the amount of water that is recommended that you drink somewhere between eight to 10 cups um, and of filtered water? Do you feel better? Do you feel like without changing anything else, do you feel better? Do you feel more hydrated? Do you feel, and the answer to that unequivocally always is yes. Mm, yeah. So then you say, so then you just remind yourself, I feel so much better. I feel so much better and feeling better matters to me. You know, it, you, you got to walk before you can run. You take the, you you take the walk before dinner. You take the walk after dinner. You add a salad. You just start building small little things. And pretty soon, you know, you have momentum. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. when you feel better, you take better care of yourself. Totally. And it becomes so you start to recognize how good you can feel. And so then it's like, again, that snowball effect and in, into a direction that's more aligned with like your true nature or your, your centered self. Yeah. And I, I think at the end of the day, there, you know, there's, a, there's a bigger decision to be made and a bigger understanding to come to, which is, well, I might... You know, I'm not, I, I rarely watch the news anymore because it's too, too many things I can't really do anything about. Yeah. And so then I get all depressed and next thing you know, I'm off my game and I'm not inspiring and, you know, I'm like, huh. Yeah. Um, so I say, here's, here's what I, I'm going to say is that you have more influence walking through the day in the world that, than, you, than you know. And if you are an uplifter and an inspire because, because you are just full of taking care of yourself and, you're, and your heart is full and you're filled with joy, you do more to, to assist the world than, than you would any other way. I love that so much. It's such a beautiful phrase though. Like, yes. yeah. Your life is what, that's the garden you've been given. Mm. We all get our gardens. Your life is yours. My life is mine. And if we really tend to our own garden and mind our own business and tend to our own garden, we become inspiring to the people around us and uplifting to the people around us. We're contributing an energy that's uplifting the whole. Mm. And have you ever met these kind of people? They're so worn out and exhausted and stressed from over, over saying yes when they mean no. Mm-hmm. Over volunteering when they really didn't want to do it, um, being being kind of pushed and guilted, and you know they don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. They don't want anybody mad at them, and they're seething with resentment. Yes, yeah, like a ticking time bomb. That's right. Miserable, unhappy, has health effects. It has emotional effects, and it also impacts the world. The mm-hmm. world does not need any more 
stressed out volunteers. Mm. You know what I'm saying? What the world needs is you to go and be so filled with joy that it's literally coming out of your pores. Mm. Beautiful. So then tell me, I feel like, you know, you've gone through this beautiful process. I like that you called it your reckoning. Yeah. And, and, you know, you share a lot about this in the book. And I want to know, having written the book, what's the greatest thing you learned about yourself? Oh, gosh. What did I learn about myself writing the book? Well, it was harder than I thought it would be. Mm. I've, been, I've been writing for years and years and years and paid to write professionally. Um, so, and I like to write. And it was very challenging because I was like, you know, go deeper, go deeper, take more skin off. Mm. Um, there's a there's a chapter uh, I, I wrote about my younger brother's sudden death mm. during season 24 of the Oprah Show, and um, I, it was the second to the last thing I wrote because I kept putting it off because I knew I wasn't just going to be telling a story; I was literally going to have to process that pain that I had just been dragging around behind me for, for years. And, um, you know, I'd be like, maybe now I can write the story about John and be like, nope, not now. Then I'd come back and, you know, then I, you know, I'm in some public coffee shop. Maybe now I can do it. Ah, I don't think I can do it now. And so finally it was like the deadlines were looming and I had to sit down and I had to have the experience again. Mm. And it was super cathartic. It was really healing. I had obviously I'd had some fears about walking that through that fire again, but um, you know it was interesting for me to watch myself. My self doubts would come up when I was doing the writing. My pains would come up. My insecurities. My um, that I could be like, oh, look at how you're framing this little story. You're worried about what everybody's going to think about you. You know, it was just really interesting to to keep trying to break down the walls of the the presentation we make, the Instagram presentation we make to the world of what our lives are like, yeah. and it's it's rarely a match. Mm. The image that we put out there is really, really rarely a match to what's totally going on. So that was interesting. Mm. And it's such a, you write so beautifully and it's so easy to read your writing. And I feel like I know you talk about in the book a lot about, you know, reinventing yourself or having a new career now in this part of your life. And um, as someone like reading the book as well, what I also loved about the story is, I love that you, your career started, you know, later in your thirties. Like, I love that because like I've interviewed so many people and I, you know, just in conversations, I feel like the story and also the social media kind of energy is all like, you need to make it before you're 30 or, you know, even earlier now. And and I just love that, you know, you had this, you just lived your life up until then and you had different experiences and yes but 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 here's what i was doing i was on the chase so so i would go back and say to my younger self okay it's going to be 10 very interesting years relax and enjoy the ride and have some fun instead i spent you know i graduated from the university of iowa and right away i was like i was in pursuit of significance mm. like and i would just okay 
maybe this isn't the right job, but I'm going to make it the right job and I'm going to get promoted and I'm going to work my way up. I had all these little little savings accounts with each little company because then finally it would be like, I can't get out of bed anymore. This is over. Let's go to the, and try the next thing. I would have enjoyed that more. I would have told myself, it's all going to be okay. Because the creative process is really is really in your heart and in your brain. It isn't in chasing around, you know, in desperation, worried about a ticking time clock. Um, and I do see that, and I do meet meet young people who who are who feel that pressure. Mm. And again, I would say this: the sooner you can develop a meditation practice, mm. the sooner you have your your mindful centering things going on in your life where you're mindful, where you're centered, where you're getting enough sleep, where you're doing all that, somehow that external pressure of, of, of trying to get someplace that might not be the place you want to go really, really fast mm. starts to drop away because you realize all those are just the details. Mm. The real story is happening right within you. Mm. Yeah, beautiful. And it ties back to also, you know, what you mentioned about being that person of influence in your everyday moments, you know? Yeah. 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 And how about just being happy? I mean, yeah. that was one of the things. It's like, oh my God, I, I wrote about this and I'm sure I'm sure this this resonated with you the, the way we're talking that I, like misery was my compass. Mm. I'd be like, okay, miserable, now time to make a change. Miserable, now time. Instead of the end game, the reason why we want the big career, the reason why we want the stuff, mm. the reason why we want the great relationships is because we want to be happy. Mm. So why don't we just cut to the chase, make happiness our compass, and really let the details that come with that, you know, kind of, kind of fill in. Mm. You know what I mean? Totally. It gives it so much more space. And, you know, there's that breathing room and you don't have to walk around. So like everyone can't see me, but I'm like showing with my hands very stressed out and high strung. Yeah. Yeah. Am I happy is a much more valuable question than am I successful? Mm. The greater impact too. Mm. Now our interview is coming to a close, but I do have some signature questions that I'd like to ask you before we wrap up. Yes. Okay, so first one is, what scares you? Oh, what scares me? Well, I'm not so scared anymore, but it was um, not ever living the life of my dreams. Mm, beautiful. Let, letting, that, letting that ball sail by and not, not making it happen. Mm. And tell me, what do you feel is your greatest asset? My alignment. Mm-hmm. With yourself. Yeah. And is there a piece of wisdom that you've acquired through life experience or that someone's passed on to you that really sticks by your heart and that you live by? Yeah. It's something that um, my podcast co-host and dear friend of 30 years, Nancy and I, we kind of made it our mission statement when we founded our company that the stories we tell ourselves are what make our dreams come true. Mm. And I'll leave that at yeah. Yeah, I think that's a beautiful point for our listeners to ponder on and, and we'll finish up there. So thank you so much for your time this morning. It's been a real pleasure. 
Oh my gosh. Oh, you know, it's night for me, Monica. It's night for me. I'm going to get ready to go pour myself a little celebratory cocktail now that we've, we've had this talk. And listen, one more thing I just want to say, there's a free companion workbook that you can get at thebeautifulno.com. And it's 64 pages of awesomeness. I really like it. Yeah, I will include all the links uh, in the show notes and the links yeah. to the website. And if people want to grab your book, they can pretty much go to any online retailers or bookstores and grab a copy, can't they? Yes. Awesome. Yes. I don't know how it works there in your country. <laughs> I would think. Yeah. Is it? Yeah, it's the same. I mean, some bookstores don't stock all things, you know, the okay. online book thing is quite big here. Well, storm the Australian bookstores and demand <laughs> that they bring me over for a book event because I'd love to come. I really yeah, would. That would be That'd awesome. Be yeah. Be yeah. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Sherry. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Monica. I appreciate it. <laughs> 